Um, my name is Roger, and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, if we haven't got a chance to chat or to talk, thank you, Dory. Um, man, I'd love to meet you, love to hear your story, how you got to Restore Church, and, and just uh, get to know you. Well, the, the time has come uh, for, your, for the weirdos in the room. It is finally time to decorate for Christmas. And the weirdos in the room are the ones that like have been trying to decorate since, since September 1st, and now is the appropriate time. Uh, and so here is your PSA to get into, the, uh, get into the attic. Don't fall through the ceiling when you get your Christmas tree. Uh, so you guys are probably getting ready for Christmas. Uh, we are too here at Restore Church, and I just want to give you uh, a little follow or a little glimpse of what December is going to look like. Uh, next week, we're going to start a new teaching series called Peace Be Still. And the idea behind it is, man, in the middle of our chaos in the season that's to come and really beyond, we want to have peace. And so we're going to talk about that over the next three weeks. One more solid announcement that you need to remember, and you need to write this down because it's going to be uncomfortable if you don't remember this. On, Ju on July, whew, that's, yeah, you just need to go ahead and write down July for 2020. And on December 29th, uh, Restore Church will not have service. Um, this is new for us. We have not done this before, but we are going to take the last uh, week of the year off. There's no reason the school's going to be open. Everything will be fine. But what we are going to do is to start practicing rest together. Uh, this is just an opportunity for you to spend some time with your family, go to church with your family, with your parents, or, or whatever else it is. It's also a nod to all our volunteers who work so hard every week to make this happen. Just take a week to breathe. Maybe you want to worship with your, uh, your life group or, or just have breakfast together. Um, but anyway, on maybe July 29th, I don't know, I haven't looked that far, but definitely on December 29th, uh, we will not have service. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, me and my family, we had a great time. We traveled. Uh, being together really just makes it all happen. Uh, just having your family all in one room and eating. I mean, Jesus loved to eat. He shared meals with sinners and with disciples alike. Um, but, man, what makes, what's better? I mean, Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday uh, simply because of, well, food and football. Am I right? Um, I mean, the turkey, the, the sweet potato casserole, the, the green bean casserole, the, all the other casseroles, the mashed potatoes, the, the pumpkin pie, which is the first year I really liked it. This year I had, for the first time, peanut butter pie. Holy smokes. And then to watch bad teams play football just uh, makes it all better. And what makes it all better? What's better than even all that? The bad football and the food are the leftovers. Am I right? Uh, my favorite leftovers is the bread and just bread, mayonnaise, and turkey, but only the turkey's hot. Anybody else with me? Okay, thank you. Appreciate you. Here's how Thanksgiving uh, goes usually for us. We wake up, we turn on the Macy's Day Parade. Anybody else? You following the balloons and stuff? Actually, one of Restore Church's own, Caroline Huffnagel, who is at Western Carolina University, marched in the Macy's Day Parade yesterday. Um, then 
we complain about how hungry we are because no one really made breakfast because we're all folks and so it's like eat a yogurt or a snack and it's like that's just teasing and so then the meal comes out around lunchtime we all gather around and we eat and then we complain halfway done with our first plate about how full we are but we still finish it then we get a second plate we're like oh I know I shouldn't be doing this but we do it anyway And we finish it, and then we're really, like, actually physically hurting because our stomach is so full. And then we go watch football. What we really mean is we take a nap between the second and the third quarters. And then we wake up just to complain again. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. We walk back into the kitchen, and we get another deviled egg or pick some more turkey, even though we're so full. We get up, and we get more. We get up, and we get more. And And then a couple hours later, it's dinner time. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I, I'm just not the culinary arts type, meaning my best dish is Captain Crunch. My wife does all cooking, and it's, it's amazing. And so when dinner time comes, I do not ask, what are we having for dinner? You get up, and you make another plate, and you eat, and you eat, and you eat, and you eat. And I wonder why my stomach still hurts from Thanksgiving, <laughs> Even like as I'm standing here, I'm thinking about a turkey sandwich after, after church. But here's, here's what I find. In Thanksgiving and maybe, maybe Christmas is the same for you or Easter you have a big meal. Here's what I found myself thinking uh, after Thanksgiving and while trying to prepare for this sermon is during Thanksgiving you can never get enough even when you're full. Right, like you eat all that food. Well, guess what happens on the day after Thanksgiving? You wake up and you're hungry. Breakfast time comes, lunch time comes, dinner time's come. Here we are four days after Thanksgiving, and I'm starving right now. Like, I'm, you are hungry. You will get hungry again. The Thanksgiving meal, it's not intended to, but it will never completely satisfy you. Are you satisfied? What, it, what is enough for you? Are we going to things like a Thanksgiving meal, right, and hoping that it will sustain us through our life? What is it that actually you seek for enough or for satisfaction? Is it food? Is it the emotional eating that that fills you up temporarily? Is it relationships? You, You run to your relationships. Is it your career? You find yourself drowning or you find yourself just tuning out everything else so that you could work? Do you go to your children to find that enoughness or that satisfaction? Is it adrenaline? Are you an adrenaline junkie? And that's what you run to for enough. Is it money? When your life flips upside down, where do you run? When there's a big decision to be made in your life, how how do you prepare? Where do you get your satisfaction? And and one of my fears for us as a church and for the whole Christian world is that we are going to big meals and thinking that's going to fill us up. I mean, it'd be crazy for you to have had Thanksgiving meal and think that that's going to tide you over to Christmas, right? But it's what we do with our spiritual life. We come to church on Sunday and we sing some awesome worship songs. We hear, okay, preaching from the Bible. And we think that that's, that's good enough. You know, we send our kids to, to youth ministry or to, to encounter youth group. We send our kids back to, the, to encounter. And we think, okay, well, that's good. That's, and it is good, but 
it's not good enough. We always find ourselves coming back and wanting more. There's a quote from John Piper, and we're going to look at it like four or five times today just for the sake of hoping that we can memorize it together. And John Piper says this, God is most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied in him. We started this series just a couple weeks ago uh, called Fighting Words. And man, we talked about the model prayer a couple weeks, uh, or the next week after that, we looked at Elijah and how to pray. Last week, we talked about different types of prayer in Scripture. And our prayer for, our prayer for you and for us as a congregation is that our prayer lives are growing deeper and more rich. And, and maybe that they're just beginning, but that's a great starting place. But today, we're going to talk about prayer's best friend. Um, people tell me all the time, like regular, well, not, not all the time, let's not make this more than this, occasionally people tell me that uh, I need to hydrate more, that, that I need to drink more water. And I say, I drink plenty of water, like every day, all day, I drink water, it's just heat it up really hot and run through coffee grounds, you know, like it's, I drink it all day. So let's call our prayer life this addiction to coffee. <laughs> addiction. It's not like if I don't drink it, I have headaches or anything or shakes or something. I do. But let's call this, uh, this drinking coffee all day prayer. And then every now and then when I'm sick or something or we don't have any coffee, I'll drink a glass of water. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but after drinking hot coffee all day long uh, and, and getting closer and closer to godliness, because there's a relationship there, and then you drink a glass of water, like my insides, I feel them celebrating, like it's a party. And my body's like, oh, this is what nutrition's like. Nice. If we called coffee prayer, the water that ignites our soul would be fasting. So, before you run for the door to try to beat every other church to lunch, uh, and you don't want to be convicted about fasting, give me just a couple minutes, okay? Let's talk about what, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about what fasting is, what fasting is not, what the Bible says about fasting, and then a couple reasons why to, why to fast, okay? Let's do that together. Uh, the definition of fasting that we're going to use is found in Strong's Concordance, which is a tool to help you study the Bible. And this is what it says. Abstinence from food, and it's voluntary, as a religious exercise of private fasting. I highlighted a couple really important words there. The, the words I highlighted are food, voluntary, and private for spiritual exercise. Let's talk about what fasting is. Fasting is, in the biblical sense, is from food. Now, you know, uh, occasionally we'll give up things. We'll say, I'm going to fast from social media. I'm going to fast from Xbox. I'm going to fast from Netflix. In the biblical sense, those are just, they're not fasts. They're rearranging priorities probably good time management, but in reality, we probably should be doing those anyway. Those are not causing you any kind of suffering. They're not causing you any kind of pain or sacrifice. But when we give up food, listen, this is what's, this is what's uh, kind of tough about this subject. When we give up food, we are actually 
inviting hunger pains, and we'll talk about the spiritual part in a second, we're inviting hunger pains and asking God to fill us. The second thing is that food is voluntary. It calls it a religious exercise. Uh, what we do in this is we replace hunger with, with God. We're going to look at a passage in a couple of minutes, but Jesus says that man, or Deuteronomy says that Jesus repeats it, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what do we do when we're hungry? We say we're going to deny ourselves a couple meals, maybe for a day, maybe a week, or at the beginning of the year, collectively, we're not going to make you do it, but we're going to do a 21-day fast. And so what do we do when we're like at lunch and everyone else is just chowing down and we're like looking at someone's bologna sandwich like it's Thanksgiving meal, you know? Well, we fill that time with scripture reading, with, with prayer, with connection with God because that's the point of fasting. Here's what it also said is that fasting is private. Now, I like to talk. You probably didn't know that about me. Um, I love to, like, connect with people. And so when I'm hungry, everybody knows it. Just because I can't think something and not say it out loud. You know this. Because, like, four times a sermon, I'm like, man, i got to stop saying stupid things. <laughs> uh, if, if it pops in my head, I say it. And so occasionally I'll be like, man, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm starving. The idea of fasting is that it's a private connection between you and God. It's the intensifying of the the hydration, right? And so actually Jesus says, do, do not be like those people who walk around and say, look at me, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. But instead, do it like, like when you're fasting, don't look like you're fasting. Don't look like you're hungry because this is not about you. It's about you and God. Here's what fasting is not. First of all, fasting is not starving. Uh, occasionally the doctor will tell you, hey, I need you to fast for 24 hours, or I need you to fast for 12 hours. And really, I, I, I'm not a doctor, uh, doctor of love maybe, <laughs> but I'm not a doctor, but that's not fasting. In a biblical sense, it might be in a medical sense, but it's just not eating. In a biblical sense, fasting is replacing that with, with God. Second thing is fasting is not a diet. In a culture-crazed world where we're driven by culture, we got to have a certain appearance or a certain look. And so what we'll do is we'll fast. And, you know, that's probably a thing that you fast from this time until 4 p.m. And then you eat dinner. And that's not the purpose of fasting. It's not to lose weight or even to get healthier. Fasting is not a cheat code. It's not just the code you punch in to take you to the next level. Look, I, I want to give you this. It is a boost to our relationship with Christ. But it is not a secret formula to make you the ultimate Christ follower. It's not going to erase anything from your past. It's not going to, maybe it might not even effectively change the circumstances you're in. And so we'll talk in a minute about what it will do. Remember this. As we talk about fasting, fasting is abstinence from food. It's voluntary. No one's making you do it as a spiritual exercise. And it's private. Um, the Bible talks about three types of fasting. There's a, a regular fast, and, and it would just be to deny food. This is probably the most common type of fasting. Um, it, it would just be someone saying, I'm denying food, but I'm still going to drink water, still going to drink juice. When we do our 21-day fast, this is probably going to be the biggest suggestion we make, is that for 21 days, I know it seems like a lot, that you're going to deny 
breakfast and lunch, but still eat dinner. T- two meals a day. Um, and drink water. And, and don't die. Right? Don't like, I'm going to pass out, but I'm fasting. Drink water. Drink juice. Um, Jesus does this. And we're going to read a passage in a minute. But Jesus is in the desert. And, and he's, uh, he's fasting. And it says after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which is probably the most understated verse in all of scripture that for 40 days he didn't eat and it just said that he was hungry but but the bible doesn't allude to him being thirsty the second thing is the second type is is a partial fast it's just generally omitting like one meal so like i said breakfast or or maybe two meals maybe maybe it's a certain time limit of the day but you're still going to eat daniel uh does it in daniel chapter 10 they decide to eat only a certain type of food. They abstain from meats and eat only vegetables and drink water. And then there's a full fast. A full fast is nothing. You take in nothing. This is not recommended for long periods of time. We see that Esther does it for a short amount of time. Paul does it for a short amount of time for three days. And so this is really meant for like intense times, intense moments of prayer, and you are going to deny your flesh, uh, your uh, intake of food and drink in order to pursue God. Again, that is not recommended for a long amount of time. Hey, um, um, if you're not a Christ follower, or maybe you're just now like getting into this whole Christian thing, this is going to seem really, really weird. Like a bit fanatical. Um, maybe you're thinking like, this is why I don't want to be a Christian because they do weird stuff like this. It's what I want to say to you. This is how serious we take this. Like this is the depth of longing and seeking that, that we crave with God. And if you're not a Christ follower, um, that's just something that you're not going to know until you make that decision. It's a love that we experience because God gives, gave us Jesus. And it's, so it's, it's a longing and, and, a, and a, like a depth of trying to pursue God that you probably won't see anywhere else. If you're a baby Christian, um, yeah, we're going to ask you to, to fast. And it's, it is going to seem uncomfortable, but it's what Jesus asked us to do. So this morning we're going to look at three broad strokes, listen, broad strokes reasons why you should fast. And there's probably a ton of other ones, like you might be in a difficult season in your life. You might need to be fasting for specific reasons. Uh, Coming up to the launch of our church, there were many people fasting for for that moment. Uh, Maybe there's difficult relationships. When I first started uh, as a pastor at 20 years old, I preached my first sermon in front of a congregation of 20 years old. And me and my wife brought the average age of that church down to like 65. Not much of an exaggeration. And so it was very tough for me uh, personally because I have the best ideas and I don't understand why anyone would object to them. They are the best. There were some people there that thought there should have been an older pastor. And so at every turn... Man, we we faced uh, internal opposition. So I called my dad, said, Dad, I don't really know what to do. And he said, fast. And I was like, I can say it faster, but I don't know 
uh, he said fast. And fast and only while you're fasting, like when you get hungry, pray for that situation. Wouldn't you know there were some of our biggest supporters probably for the rest of our ministry there? Maybe it's finances is a specific reason. Guys, maybe you pick a meal out of every week and fast for your children. Take another meal and fast for your spouse. But these three, uh, but this morning we're going to talk about three broad strokes. And the first broad stroke is this, uh, seeking closeness with God. Let me ask you uh, a question. When do you feel like in your heart or, or in, your, in your soul, uh, in your spiritual life, when do you feel like the furthest from God? Now you might give the Sunday school answer and say, I never feel far from God. Okay, cool. Uh, you get a felt board star. But if we're all real for a moment, we, we can say that we at times in our life feel separated from God, feel maybe disconnected or even uncomfortable in our prayer life because of sin. I know for me and for people I'm close with that we feel disconnected from God when sin is in our life and actively trying to tear it apart. It's during times of active sin that we're choosing to worship something else, somebody else. Actually, most of the time it's, it's ourselves, right? We want to look good, feel good, or appear to be better than we are. And so we sin, we lie, we, we seek out money, we're, we're greedy, we, uh, we gossip. And so we choose our own pride instead of God's glory. There's this interesting passage that if you were to read through James, I think one of our life groups have, have gone through James or are going through James. And when you get, uh, actually, James doesn't uh, pull any punches. Actually, from the very beginning, he, he kind of just lays it out for you. But when we get to James chapter 4, there's this pretty tough passage. I mean, he's really like laying it out there for the people. He, he calls them adulterous people. They covet, they lie, they steal. They, they have a lack of faith, and they're very, very proud. I hope this never describes Restore Church. But mainly, James wants these first, first century Christians to put everything back into perspective and to seek God. Like, if we're going to get out of sin and, and receive, like feel closer to God, then we've got to get sin out of it. And in the middle of James chapter 4, he writes this in verse 7. He's trying to encourage them, remember, to get out of this sinful mentality. And he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Easier said than done, James. How do you do that? Verse 8, draw near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, everyone, you, you sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and, and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and then he will lift you up. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James tells us that when we draw closer to God, that he draws close to you. If you've ever been sitting on a couch with your child or your spouse and you scoot a little bit closer, you will see that they will scoot closer to you. Um, Jeremiah says it like this. In chapter 29, verse 13, he says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There's a deep closeness, a relationship with God when we're actively denying ourselves food so that we could pursue God and, and we uh, ask God to fill our needs. Our stomach starts to rumble and we say, God, I, I need you now. 
you know, we, we feel weak and tired and we come home to our families and we say, God, I need energy, but I need it from you. There's this closeness, this, this drawing near. Hey, I, want to look, I want us to look at a quick passage together. Uh, it's in um, Matthew uh, chapter 4. And so we have some volunteers that were waving Bibles at me uh, that we're going to pass some Bibles out. So if you need one, you, you can throw your hand up. And um, Matthew chapter 4. It might actually be easier for you if you use the Restore Church app or the YouVersion Bible app. And because, we, like I said last week, we typically don't jump all over. We, we usually preach from one passage or or one story in the Bible, but this week we, we kind of are. And so if you just scroll along with us on the YouVersion Bible app, you see Restore Church, or, or on our app under the bulletins, you can follow us. But uh, I want to bring to your attention this, this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 1, and it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And verse 2 says, After 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. The tempter, or, or Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, he's using the Old Testament to do this. He said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, If you are the Son of God, he said, Then throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against stone." I mean, Satan already sees that, that Jesus is using Scripture, and so Satan knows the Bible too, and he uses Scripture to kind of twist it. But Jesus answered him and said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Booyah. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and all of their splendor. And then he said, All this I will give to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Get away from me, Satan, for it is written again, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11 says, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. James says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Resist Satan. I mean, J Jesus is tempted by Satan. I want, I want to make this note in verse 2. It says, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Again, understatement of the Bible. And then the tempter came. Look, Satan loves to come at us when we are weak. And so when we are weak, we need to make God strong and, and pursue him so that when times of temptation come, we are ready to stand. And he uses God's word to do it. And when he withstands Satan's temptation, verse 11 says, the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Jesus draws, draws closer to God in fasting in order to, uh, to defend against Satan. Do you need um, some closeness with God? Like, is there something, like Satan's just kicking your, your butt right now? Maybe you should commit to fasting. I mean, maybe it's, it's today or, or tomorrow at lunch or something, and you just commit that during that meal and, uh, or, or whatever, you're going to spend time praying. Maybe, and, and I believe this is true for a lot of us, it's even true for me, if you need to kickstart your relationship with God, if you need to get it going or get that downhill push again where you and God are just uh, in sync, then maybe you should fast. Remember this quote from John Piper, it says, 
God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Second reason that you might uh, consider fasting is to be fully satisfied in God. Uh, I worked, you guys know this, I worked at a university in Elizabeth City uh, for three, for a couple years before I came down here. And, and it's assumed that when kids come onto campus, it's a Christian university, that, that they're Christ followers. And we had one week, what we called Missions Emphasis Week. We had a lot of missionaries come in and preach and, and talk in our chapels. We had them teach in our classrooms. And we also wanted to participate in some missions activities. And so what we did was a 30-hour famine. We did not eat for 30 hours. Well, I did, because I didn't sign up to do it, because uh, I wasn't a student, so I went home. Don't judge me. They did a 30-hour famine, and, and as the, as the, uh, the ch- um, chaplain for men, what was I? Uh, this campus minister for men on the campus, um, like it was a part of my goal and job to disciple some of these men. And so occasionally you get someone to come into your office and have a real conversation. That's occasionally. The rest of them would come in to goof off. And there was one kid, he came in, he, he closed the doors behind him so we knew it was about to get serious. And he sat down, he said, dude, I just want food. I am so hungry. Do you have anything to eat in here? And I asked him, what do you want more? Do you want food or do you want Christ? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Another word for this Greek word filled is satisfied. This morning, what do you hunger for? What's the void that's sitting in your, in your heart? Is it a role that your spouse will play that they're just not cutting it? And if they were, that, that hole would be filled. Maybe it's another, maybe it's the longing for a significant relationship that you just haven't had yet. And so that's the void. Maybe you just want to be a better parent or a better spouse. Maybe there's forgiveness that you need to ask for or forgiveness you need to grant. And, and there's that void or that ho- open hole. Maybe it's your past that you're running from and, and you need a fresh, brand new start. Maybe it's addiction or or pride or whatever it is. And look, praying for all those things are good. Some of these things are great, like getting a fresh start, overcoming addiction. Becoming a better parent is awesome. Be a better spouse, please. Ask for forgiveness. Grant forgiveness. You'll be living out the gospel. Seek approval where it's, where it's healthy and appropriate. Ha- have a better relationship with your spouse. Man, all of those things are great, but we, Andy Stanley says we live in the land of er because we never get the est. We're always seeking bigger, faster, better because we're pursuing the big is, the fastest, the best. And those things are fictional. They don't exist. Because you will always be seeking them. You will always have this longing. This void will never be filled because once it is, there will become another one. And so what the Bible asks us to do when we, when we, um, uh, when we fast is to empty ourselves completely out, literally, and ask God to fill us up so that we can be completely satisfied in him. Next week we're going to start talking about peace and I want to give you a little hint peace is not found here 
It's found in eternity and knowing where our eternity rests. If you want peace, if you want satisfaction and longing, it only comes from God. And if that's not a part of you, then maybe you need to fast. Here's what happens. I'm gonna, uh, I, I want to be uh, just completely transparent. When you fast, you will get hungry. I promise. And here's what will happen. Your stomach will make this really odd noise that we don't hear often because Americans, we just eat all the time. But it'll growl. <laughs> and you're going to think, oh, I need a snack. I, I need a meal. But what, what I've been taught and what I use for that is that that is just a cry for God. It's a reminder to, to pray, a reminder to, to read scripture. What do you do when you're feeling a little bit weak and, uh, you know, you just need to, to maybe, like you would think, man, I'm getting hangry. You, you guys know what that phrase means? You, I'm sure you do. Uh, you probably don't get hangry, but you know people who do. You're starting to get hangry. So what do you do? Here's just a couple suggestions that I would give to you is, Go read the Bible. Go read the Bible. If the only Bible you get is on Sunday morning, that is not enough. If the only Bible you get is Sunday morning life group, that is not enough. And fasting will excel that because you need God. And so you'll go read God's word. Pray. Remember, prayer and fasting are best friends. They go hand in hand. Here's something that might be a little uncomfortable for you. Worship. Uh, put on your headphones. Open up Spotify. Hey, follow Restore Church on Spotify, and you'll see all the songs we sing during each ser- uh, during each series. Matter of fact, if if you have the Restore Church app, every week we put the series playlist on our Restore Church app, and you can just click Spotify and worship with the songs that we sing during the uh, Fighting Words series. Fasting makes us; it, it like forces us into. Uh, in the trust in Jesus. It gives us this longing because, look, you are desperate to not feel hungry. You are desperate to be full. But the question is, what do you want more? A cheeseburger or Christ? A couple years ago, I heard this quote, and I can never get it out of my head. I hope I never get it out of my head. It came from Dean Troon, and he says this, you cannot drift into intimacy with God. You cannot casually coast into a relationship with God. You have to pursue it. There's a quote I heard from John Piper once. It says, God is most satisfied in us when we are most satisfied in him. Here's a third reason and the last reason uh, that I'm going to talk about this morning of why you might fast. Because fasting is a mode, a means of worship. It's a setting, a reprioritizing the things in our life. A young man in scripture, he approaches Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you already know the answer to the question even before you ask. He, excuse me, he walks up to Jesus and like with a little strut, you know, uh, maybe a little first century swag. And walks up to Jesus and he says, like, I already know the answer, but. Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he already knows, like, I'm going to be there. I've been doing it. And Jesus says, oh, just keep the commandments of God. You know, love your father and mother. Do not steal. And he's like, I got those. He says to Jesus, look, 
I, I, under, I, I got this. Like, those are not a problem for me. And, and the guy's probably thinking, like, Jesus, you need me on, on that team. You need me with you. And then in verse 21, uh, we read this in Mark chapter 10. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Other translations might say he had compassion on him. He was sad for this man. Because he said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, and and the expectation is that he's going to do it. He's going to be obedient. Like The first time Jesus tells him, he's going to go empty his pockets, give it to the poor, love the people that Jesus loved, and then he's going to come follow Jesus. There's a big pause between verse 21 and 22 with anticipation, and we're all let down in verse 22 when it says, at this, at the man's face, or at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Is this story about money? Yeah, because the man had money. But the story is about priorities. It's about putting God first. For the young man, it was money. He, he couldn't part ways with his pocketbook or his 401k, or he couldn't part ways with his savings account or whatever it is. And um, how, how many of us this morning, when I mentioned fasting, were like, yes, the pastor's going to ask me to stop eating. How many of us were like, man, I, I'm so, thank you for the reminder. I, I just, I, I forgot, and, and you, you reminded me, and I'm so excited to get home and fast. How many of us were like, I'm excited to find new and more ways to draw deeper and closer in my relationship with God? How many of us were like, man, I just want to go home right now and deny my flesh so that I can worship God with everything I have and get all the distractions out of the way? Or was your thought to tune out and check social media? Or or did you say, there's no way I'm giving up food? He must be crazy. If he thinks I'm not going to eat. One thing you lack, said Jesus. It's a shift in priorities. For many Americans, food is a God. And for most Americans, food is God. And fasting allows us to deny that and to worship God. Hey, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to do something. Just go home and research the the fasting, the physical benefits. There's plenty of physical benefits: flushing toxins, resetting your hormones, resetting your chemical imbalance in your brain. But the best benefit of fasting is a closeness with God. It's the setting our priorities, and it's being satisfied with God. So let me summarize here the heart of Christian fasting and and why we do it. One way to say it is this, that the hungry uh, fasting is like the hungry Christian's handmade of faith. Fasting is not a replacement for faith. It's it's a display of it. It's a servant of Jesus saying, I want to serve you more and better. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. It's a way of saying that we're not going to be enslaved by food as the source of our satisfaction. As a matter of fact, we're going to give up food for a time and express that Jesus is better than that. Jesus is more 
is more satisfying than food. If anybody in this room is going to say it, I'll say it. Food is good. I, I, I like food. But can we use food instead of a way to obsess about it or worship it, to worship the creator of it? And so when we decide to fast, it actually fixes our eyes on the feast. We can't wait to eat. On day 30 or day 21, and you have a celebration meal, and it's a great opportunity to, instead of saying, man, I can't wait to have the food, it's I can't wait to praise the creator of the food. And the fast is the way to say I love the creator more than I love the creation. Fasting and, and feasting. But while you're fasting, you're also feasting. You're feasting on the word of God. You're feasting on a deep prayer life. I found this quote, and I'll end with this. At its best, Christian fasting is not a belittling of the good gift of food. It is simply a heartfelt, body-felt exclamation point at the end of the sentence. I love you, God. I need you more than I need food, more than I need life. John Piper said it this way. God is the most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied with him. I want to end with this question. How desperate are you for God? Are you willing to pursue him with everything? Now, I want to shift a little bit, and it might not be fasting for you right now. Are you willing to put away the, the computer? Are you willing to put away the work to give family attention? Are you willing to, to sacrifice everything? I mean, how desperate are you for God? And that really summarizes our need for fasting. Hey, over the next couple of days, if you decide to fast, uh, let's put some things in perspective. That every groan is a cry of worship. Every moment that you are weak, it causes you to hit your knees in prayer. And every time you start to think about food, let's fix our eyes a little bit higher and worship the creator. Um, let's pray together. Can we do that?